Blog Talk Radio. Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis! And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Reese! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. Once again, this is Coach Chuck Creasy. It's another week of American tennis, and I need to apologize for not doing the program last week, but we had a little bit of a hurricane going on here in South Carolina, and I took my family and left town. And uh, I think that's what, um, especially a lot of these people down here in uh, South Carolina, down in the Charleston area, they stayed, and I don't get it. I just, um, you know when you're not as big as something else, and uh, you can think that you are, but when the weather, the weather is one of those things that you're not bigger than. And, uh, you know, we're not bigger than tennis. We're not bigger than the weather. We're not bigger than other people. We're not bigger. We have a duty to do our best, and we're supposed to bloom where we are planted, and be honored to be in the game of tennis and to do our best each and every day, and that's what we do. And um, all I know is that any time you start thinking it's the Chuck show or the Bob show or the Sally show or the Mary show or or your show instead of um, other people, and uh, or if you're bigger than the sport of tennis, you get in trouble in a big, big hurry. This game will cut you up and spit you out. And um, I know <laughs> weather's like that for sure. I'm just uh, we're grateful for not getting slammed right here in Charleston, but we feel terrible and uh, for the people that that did get hurt. So and so many people we know. Uh, had a lot, a lot of problems this last couple weeks. So, anyhow, listen, uh, I've got a good program for you today, and I think I'm hoping that I have enough time to go through uh, the entire program and the genius of it. Um, that I want to put out there. First of all, disclaimer: I don't think that Dave Miley will, it'll bother him for me to talk about 
his article that he put out there. Uh, folks, you can get this article, by the way. I ran it off, and I've read it about four or five times already here, and I've got it highlighted up and everything because I am hungry, as hungry could be, uh, to try to figure out and to try to help pass on what I learn uh, from others and what I feel like my experience has taught me about where we need to go and where we try need to try to go with our wonderful sport of tennis. We have the game of tennis and we have the sport of tennis. And they probably need to be separated somewhat. I think that sometimes we get the two mixed up. Um, I've often told my uh, guys on the team or my gals on the team or anybody I've coached, you play tennis all your life, but it takes a lot to be a tennis player. When you start going about it the right way and honoring the game and honoring others and, and doing the things you're supposed to do out there with this fantastic game, you become a tennis player. And um, with with that, I think that we need to separate those two things. But I'm speaking to all of you out there in hopes that in being a tennis player, or if you just play the game of tennis, you will acknowledge some of the wisdom here that's in this article and uh, the things I'm going to go through and see if you can help out in your way as well uh, to come on, let's, we need to write the ship. And I, I think we need to probably uh, call some of the things out and, and call it for what it is. First of all, I, I wanted to, my hats off to Dave Miley. Dave Miley served uh, as director of ITF and in that capacity um, for many years now. And I'll just say that my brief three or four four year uh, stint in coaching international juniors, and then my time that I've been out there coaching other than college, uh, this man has been a wonderful help, a a guide, a mentor, and he always has been at the assistance of other or at the call of other people when they need help. And uh, he's had nothing else on his mind except to try to help the game prosper in every country around the world. And, uh, you know, he's recognized. I, I reached out to him, and he sent me his article. It's called Let's Put a, a Big Ten into Tennis. Uh, look it up on the Internet. My golly, how, how great is it to be able to just – Go to the Internet and find out such great information. But he's put out ten things things that he, he believes, and I, I, I agree with about nine out of the ten, not completely, but most of the nine out of the ten. And I want to go through these with you today to sort of give you a heads up because I've been on this kick lately of pointing out my sleeping giants that are out there, and I'm trying to get the word out. Uh, to everyone out there that it's up to each and every one of us to, you know, to take, take action, to step up, take action, speak out, stand up. It's not about some centralized government, the USTA or the ITF or anybody to uh, do that work for us. It's up to us to our circle of influence we have a big circle of concern, but our circle of influence is where we need to jump in and we need to take action. And everyone is responsible. And so I'm calling out to every one of you. But let's identify the problem, first of all. Uh, Dave 
points out in his article starting out, he said, well, the numbers speak for themselves in the USA, you know, which is the, you know, the the number of people that we had in the 80s was as many as 30 million, and we're down now to 18.6 million people playing. So about half as many people playing tennis um, that were out there in the 1980s. And, of course, the 70s were the tennis boom. And then, of course, the marketing people fed off of those big numbers, and there was lots of products that came out, and there was a certain amount of hype and everything. But they said in, in large part around the world that tennis is uh, dropped off some. Uh, he said Canada is one of the few developed tennis nations where they're actually doing a pretty good job of keeping the numbers. And then he points out what makes a healthy sport. Well, I want to identify some other numbers that I've, brought up on the show before folks do you know that we only have 26,000 competitive junior tennis players in the United States right now that means where they've played more than two tournaments a year 26,000 and I've often said that in I think in Miami-Dade County alone they have over 20,000 high school or 20,000 soccer players and so I mean 26,000 is is a very very poor number uh, I'll tell you from my own point of view, college has been neutered. College tennis development is struggling. Uh, uh, they're trying, we're trying to get some things going, and our centralized organizations are trying to make things happen. But I think they're barking up the wrong tree. Um, they've got a lot of marketing people out there doing things, but the bottom line is the product of college tennis itself is not something that. Um, is just uh, it's not the same as it once was that's for sure I'll give you an instance back in the 1960s and early 70s we would have players absolutely like a Dennis Ralston I'll give you the, the person I respect so very very much is Dennis Ralston he was one of my idols I used to hit on the backboard making believe I could be Dennis Ralston one day but he actually won the NCAA in doubles and then flew in singles, I think. I But he was one of our top players. Then he flew to Wimbledon. I think he was a finalist at Wimbledon after the NCAA tournament. And the great teams at Trinity University in Southern California and UCLA and all those, all these players, college was the necessary stepping stone or the, the pathway, the highway, the freeway to excellence in our country. Uh, I'll tell you uh, the statistics that I got earlier. In 1986, we had 41 USA-born college students who went into college and, excuse me, USA-born players who went to college and then went into the pro ranks and were the top 100. Today we have three, four, I think four. I think just one female and three men players. So college is not other than Stevie Johnson and John Disner. College is doing a very, very poor job of developing players. And uh, in their infinite wisdom, the ITA has, I shouldn't say infinite wisdom. <laughs> They're, um, I, I'm not going to go there today, but the bottom line on the thing is through their pushes, Tennis has been cut up to where now they limit your work practice, work days to 20 hours a week, four hours a day. Come on. Four hours a day, 20 hours a week, and only 25 matches a year. What? <laughs> I have 
I have um, a good friend who's got a 12-year-old son that's already played over 110 matches since January 1st, and we're still just nine months into it. And our college players are playing 22, 23 matches a year. That's absolutely laughable. And then they're using no-ad scoring, which is uh, in a, a – it's laughable as well, and it's a debacle – when you think of 147 years that we played a certain scoring, now we're coming up with a, a hoochie coochie show out there um, of abbreviated scoring, and let's let's do this stuff. And it's everybody's got their own agenda for why they push this through, but the ITA pushed this through, and it's just further demeaning tennis and making it into arena football atmosphere. So college has been is weak now and has been neutered. And by the way, if you're an American kid growing up, forget it about a tennis scholarship. They just ain't out there. They're going primarily to international students, and that's not all bad. As many many international students, international coaches have been great role models. I I did my apprenticeship absolutely under one of the greatest ever, and Harry Hopman. Had it not been for his this Australian's influence. And seeing the way he approached tennis, I would have never transferred my basketball hunger and coaching and everything into tennis. But uh, so we have we owe a lot. But the bottom line is, there's not enough uh, Americans that are getting opportunities now because the reduction in scholarships, the reduction in schedules, and by the way, coaches are going overseas and getting most of their players now and. And our junior tennis, frankly, is inept as well. We have it's overregulated by the USTA. It's overcomplicated, overregulated. Too many people, too many cooks, and with their hands in the broth or they're adding spices to the soup. It's very simple. Those of you who run junior tournaments, very simple. Kids play for two reasons. Quoting the great Tim Wilkinson for rivalries number one, and for tournaments of heritage. But we have them chasing points, and kids don't chase points. Parents chase points. So, therefore, the way that they set up the junior tournaments is not is like it should be. And, hey, it's a problem. High school tennis is a problem. What other sport do uh, is there that coaches never go to to recruit in high school? I'll go if I'm a high school foot, uh, college football Basketball, baseball, track and field, any any sport. I will go to high. I would go to high school events to watch. Not so in tennis because the the format is very very weak and it's it's anemic when it comes to developing players. Uh, it's an after school activity as far as the training is combined. And then this USTA program of no cut tennis. How do you make something less important if you say there is no value in working hard to make the team? Everybody wins, nobody actually wins. Everybody makes the team, nobody really is on a, a top team. And you know, there are some exceptions, but we're messing up there. Our stands are empty out there. If you look at some of these tournaments, I tried to turn on the St. Petersburg Open the other day on uh, the Dagon channels we have out there. and. Nobody's watching, so there are so many things that we need to identify. And the biggest mistake, folks out there, the biggest mistake is for any of us to think that it's a centralized government problem. 
that the USTA can fix this, that ITF can fix this. The ITA, by the way, it should be the ITCA. It should be a coaches association. It now is more of a marketing firm instead of a coaches organization. The ITCA is what we should call it once again. They only did the ITA so they could get marketing people in there and uh, bring some money in. And whenever you go there, whenever you try to market, instead of to make it an educational situation, you goof it up for sure. But it's our mistake is it's not centralized government. All of all of us are involved. All of us need to be doing the work. All of us need to understand that. Listen, tennis is maybe the best thing that ever happened to me in my life, other than my wife, children my family, and those things that God has given me, the biggest thing that God put before me was a chance to hit a tennis ball in a tennis court, sort of at the park across the street from my house. And all of us have something like that we should be happy about. My job is to try to help tennis every day that I am alive, and I hope you believe this way as well. If you're an old person, don't bail out. Come on, mentor some of those young people, and you know what? You have the wisdom of the ages. If you're a young person, don't just try to fit in. Give and in, 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 dive in and use your energy and try to help. You know, Don't just try to be political and, and, and uh, sort of fit in. Stand up. Speak out. If you don't like something, put your ideas on the table. Don't be afraid. And if you're a person in the middle age, like 35, 40, I'd say 40, 45, beware of the golden handcuffs. That job that you get that just is supplying something, again, you, yeah, yeah, you want to keep your job. You don't want to get fired. You don't want to be too big of a rebel. But don't be afraid to speak out. Don't be a chicken liver. You know, speak out, stand up, say what needs to be said, stay professional. Nobody can find fault. But we need some people with courage out there and to put your heart on the table. So enough being said and identifying the problem, when we come back, I'm going to dive into Coach, uh, call him Coach Dave Miley because he is. He's pretty much a mentor to many, many people. But we're very fragmented out there at the professional level. We're very fragmented at many, many levels of tennis. But he gives us some great ideas. Maybe we can become – a better team if we we do some of this stuff. Stay right with us. We will be right back on American Tennis and this is Coach Chuck Creasy. Folks, this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and do you know my coaching tennis book is now one of the best sellers of any tennis book out there, instructional or otherwise. Folks, the book's been out there for 20 years. We have over 40 to 45,000 sold now worldwide. It's around the world, but you can get a copy of Coaching Tennis if you'll just go to Amazon and order it. That's that simple. It's still in print. You can order it. And you'll learn many, many things that you need to to help your youngster, to help your junior player out there, or to just to help your coaching. Coaching Tennis by Coach Chuck Creasy. Folks, also, I wanted to let you know that I am working right now on a 
book on momentum control as I have one of the only systems in the world for the controlling of momentum in your tennis match, in your careers. And if you'd like for me to talk with you about it, go to my website or contact me at chuckcreasy at gmail. And my website is chuckcreasy.net, K-R-I-E-S-E.net. that is not afraid to speak out and say his mind, Javier Palenque, have tremendous reasons. I've never met him yet, but I'm dying to. This guy is not afraid of anything. And, uh, you know, I always tell him, Javier, squeaky wheel gets the oil, but if it squeaks too loud, it gets removed. You've got to just sort of make sure you, honey catches more flies than vinegar, honey, Javier. And he, he gave me a great, great explanation. He says, Chuck, he says, nobody's doing anything out there. We've got to do something. It's time to stand up, speak out. And I love the guy because of that. And he'll be on Coach John Denise's program at 5.30 Thursday afternoon. And, hey, Coach Randy Blumendahl also is Coach's Corner program. You can pick it up also on the Yellow Ball Network. And tune in to We Coach Tennis. Go there, We Coach Tennis, on your Facebook and your website. J.P. Weber's stuff is out there as well. But, Folks, I'm going to talk about um, Dave Miley here a little bit in, in his uh, Big Ten and, and what to do. And we've, again, my five things that I brought up over the last few weeks is, if you remember, I said, gosh, let's let's waken the sleeping giants. Where are the sleeping giants? Well, one of them is high school tennis. Another one is small town tennis USA, which I'm working on that program. We have a great, great uh, format to, to develop your tennis programs in small town. If you're under 50,000 people, contact me at Coach Creasy or Chuck Creasy, uh, Chuck Creasy at gmail.com, Chuck Creasy at gmail.com. And uh, so small town tennis USA. The other is, folks, we need tournaments from ages 20 to 35. There's nothing for men or women to do after they get out of college. We need good competitive money tournaments at those age, at that age. Uh, we also need to do something about our older folks. Get them out of pick, come on, pickleball, pickleball. Give me a break. I, I, when somebody, 
please tell me, please tell me what is so addicting. I think this is going to be like the hula hoop or something that's going to that's not going to be around very much long. No offense to pickleball players out there, but try one on one doubles. Ed Crass, we had him on the program explaining about one on one doubles, and then last. The thing that we need to do is we need you out there. We need you out there. We had uh, a Miss Susie Wimberly on about four or five weeks ago. She gave us some great ideas how to get tennis rolling in your community. We need you going. But here are Dave Miley's uh, great ideas, and some of these I thought about a little bit, but not in great detail. Number one, he said we need to introduce a cut system at professional tennis events. This is a very interesting thing. Uh, in the old days, we had satellite events. I used to like the satellites because they were open to everybody, but exclusive for only the people that won. In other words, if you didn't, you'd go out and you'd play these satellite events. There'd be a four weeks. The first three weeks, you would play the events, and if you started doing well, you qualified and did well, you'd get invited to the Masters. You got into the Masters the last week. And I can remember, you know, about a couple satellite circuits that I coached over in Europe, and then I was around some over here. The first day you would have a couple hundred people there, and then it was interesting, the last day of the Masters, you'd have four or five people standing around and nobody was there. So it weeded everyone out, but you had to go through that filter of satellites to try to progress. Well, Dave Miley brings out the thing that he says, you ever been at a professional event that it's exciting the first three days, and then by the time you get to the quarters, there's only four matches going on, and then the last day, there's two people, and unless you just really, really into tennis, you'd rather be at the earlier rounds. You get to see more. So he said, let's let's have a cut, maybe at the round of eight or at the round of 16, so that you have playoffs in that last so everybody, what I mean is you have, when you get down to the round of eight, you play off for first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth place, sort of like a cut, or the last three days, the last four days, you could start the last four days, with four days to go, you have a cut where everybody in the round of 16 stays through the rest of the week, and money uh distributed based on your finish, 1 through 16. In other words, right now, if you make the quarters, everybody making the quarters makes the same amount of money. But let's say if you make if you make the round of 16, then you lose in that round, and then you play the playoff, well, you can make a lot more money if you finish ninth instead of 16th if you win some more matches. So you keep people around. It would be better for the player development it would be better for the fans. It would be better for the competition. And players would have to stay there and grind and learn how to play on the last day. I always tell players about the consolation events. When they start saying, oh, I've played five days in a row, I say, well, how many days would you have played had you won if you are in the semis or something today? Oh, I get it. I said, do you think there's a correlation maybe between players that win all the time and the fact that they get those extra two or three matches at the end of the week. So there's just many, many things that could happen. So his first job about introducing a cut, I gave it on a scale of one to 10, boom, 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 a nine. I gave it a nine 
It's on a scale of one to ten. I gave Dave Miley's idea of introducing a cut at professional events a nine. Everybody wins, and uh, it would be very good for the game. Very common sense idea. Number two, create regional circuits for entry level at professional tours. Well, guess what? Weeds players out faster than anything after college. I've coached college now. It's year number 41 coaching college. What weeds people out is not necessarily that they have to lose so much, which you do. And uh, guess what? You're not on TV yet, which you won't be probably for a long, long time unless you do really, really good. What weeds people out is always the expenses. And uh, being out there and traveling, well, I'll give you a good example. When I was uh, in Thailand and we had two or three players doing very well, and I traveled with up to five or six players um, my second year working there. But um, the boss and the, one of the, fun, the first people who funded um, one, two of our top players, he told me one day, he said, you know, it costs about 60 or $70,000 American dollars to do this right and to do travel for a year. I said, well, I, I know. it's." And, and then if you get a coach, it's even more. And uh, the bottom line on the thing is it's incredibly expensive. <clears throat> and they said at one time, I think last year, I heard only 14 men in the United States of America were making a living playing professional tennis. I don't know how many women but the statistic with that, and then it said, by the way, in baseball, we have 6,000 baseball players, if you can believe it, all the major league, minor league, farm teams, some kind of baseball players making a living or at least staying alive. But in tennis, if you're not in the top 200, get, you better have a bankroll somewhere because it's, that is the thing that usually weeds people out. And compared to professional golf, golfers make a ton more money than tennis players do. Um, tennis is, and, and the biggest reason, frankly, is that the schedules are all over the world, and it costs a tremendous amount of money. And guess what? If, if you want to go play those tournaments, fine, but you ought to have a pathway to be great at what you do, very, very close to your home and very, very close to a support system where you can go back and work on your game, get nurtured, come out, play, go back, work on your game, and uh, then you have, have an opportunity. Um, so we, we really, really, and then the amount of events, why we don't have a support system, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that in the mid-'80s, I remember there were 50 tour events in the United States, 50 just about one every week. Do you know that right now we only had 13 as of last year, 13 tour events? Wow, gadzooks, holy guacamole, awful, awful. Are you kidding me? Yikes, give me a break. And then, uh, not satellite events, they call them future. I think the futures, they tried to make the futures events sort of, more player-friendly, but Futures events promoted pretenders like nobody's business. Futures events promoted pretenders in that 
a lot of players would go out there on Dad's Diner Club and they'd try to they'd, they'd just sort of gum up the filtering system. Uh, and they weren't good enough to be out there, but they'd go and masquerade for a couple years as a professional player. And, um, you know, the bottom line on the thing, I think they're trying to do something now to – with uh, what 600 players qualify, it's almost like having your your G, your uh, professional PGA card, your professional golf card. Uh, you'll have to be in the top 600. Well, the bottom line on the thing is, we need probably that, and then ho- the hope is for a lot of regional tournaments to spring up. But it, it's really, really, we need need many, many more events. And uh, we need money events, and uh, hopefully this, this this opens things up. But uh, you know, number two is really really good one. And let's see what I gave on a scale of one to ten. I gave Coach Dave my I gave him a nine again, a nine and a nine. So okay. And then a thing that he said that I gave a ten to. He says you could easily establish three regional tours in the world, too, instead of the massive ATP tour. You could have the Pan-American tour that would be over here, that you'd have the Euro-African tour that would be in that part of the world, then the Pacific Oceana tour. And, and, and again, a great, great thing. I think that's the way they break down the Davis Cup, and that would be a great, great thing. So just a little restructuring there would help a whole lot. And, People could stay alive, you know, you, you make money. But the, the, the ATP really needs to structure that better, the ITF, ITF and the ATP. And uh, without becoming bureaucratic and without becoming over-imposing of different things, we need guidance, not mandates. Well, how many times do I have to tell or say that to people? Like USTA, ITA. ITCA, IT, hopefully you guys become the ITCA, Coaches Association. Got to have more than six coaches on the committee, though. They got 19 board members in that daggone ITA. Can you believe that? How many six? And it used to be a coaches association. How many coaches only have six? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Not right. Not good. But that's, uh, again, I don't want to go there too much right now, but no mandates, no mandates, just guidance. Number three, encourage our top players to play doubles more often. Well, there's a reason why they don't play doubles. They've diluted, polluted, prostituted. I don't know if they're prostituted. They just diluted, polluted the doubles. And uh, people don't, it, it's always this way. If something starts struggling, they throw stuff at the wall, hoping it, it sticks. I'm not going to tell you what they're throwing at the wall. Maybe they're throwing uh, putty at the wall, or maybe they're throwing something from the barn that, that smells pretty bad, but they're throwing it at the wall hoping that it sticks. The ITA does this. The USTA does this. But the bottom line on the thing with doubles is, <laughs> look, for years and years I would tell players that I coached, Live and travel off of your doubles earnings. But with your singles, work for development and growth and try to move your ranking up. But you, the doubles, absolutely, the payoff was big time. 
you would you'd make a little bit extra money, but you'd develop your game. All the best players used to play doubles. Now none of them do. Why? Usually it's a scheduling problem. I've often said that the scheduling problem that we have with doubles is, uh, well, tournament directors would complain. They would say, we have to put up these doubles specialists. We have to have these doubles players. Well, what are we supposed to do when we have so many doubles players and we don't have enough money to pay for them? Well, it was the scheduling thing. I always said this, why don't you do this? If the tournament starts on Monday, Sunday, why don't you play two rounds on Monday out of the blocks? You have a 32 draw or 16 draw. You play two rounds out of the blocks, and you have fan appreciation day. And play, people come in, let them in for free to that tournament the first day. And guess what? After two rounds played off, two matches, two out of three sets, by the way, and play out that third set. Nobody likes that hokey pokey show they call that match tiebreaker. What a silly, silly thing that has become. Don't do that. Play a third set. That's where all of the great playing is developed. So play two out of three set matches, two of them on Monday. Knock it down to the last four doubles teams. Then the tournament directors can mix them in any way they want. And guess what? The teams that don't finish in the top four in the doubles, they can hit the road, Jack. And they won't take any of the money, and it won't cost anything to have them there. And you'd get Fan Appreciation Day. You'd have, like, the uh, Wednesday or the month practice rounds in golf. And guess what? The best players would show up to get into the tournament, and they would play doubles. So Dave Miley has a great idea, though. He says, hey, how about combining rankings for singles and doubles? Now, they did this. He did this in the junior ranks and, and what a great success it was. Juniors played uh, doubles as well because I think 25% of how they did counted towards their overall world ranking. You could very easily do this and uh, if you wanted to get your ranking up you can move it up if you just let the doubles count for more. So on a scale of 1 to 10 I gave Coach Miley a, a 10 on this one. Oh, yeah, doubles as a college coach, I love it. I, we need more doubles, and it's just scheduling stuff, and it's not because doubles is boring. It's you guys have barked up the wrong tree again. USTA, you barked up the wrong tree. College tennis, when you're making it a one set, what are you thinking? You Folks, you believe in college tennis we play one set of no ad for doubles? Holy guacamole. Holy cow, is that awful. It's laughable. Gee whiz, I'm trying to think. Georgia Tech or Florida State, one of our doubles team, they beat in about 14 minutes. Hands at, hats off to them. But I said, golly, two of my players only got to serve once. At least play a pro set. Come on, guys. Everybody gets to serve twice in a pro set. That's ridiculous. So, anyhow, number four, Dave Miley's number four, make the international – Junior tennis tour more friend more friendly for players. For it's a fact that if you've got money, you can travel more. If you've got you can travel more, you can get a world ranking up. You can go to Timbuktu or uh, Kokomo or uh, anywhere in the world and play. And guess what? You can get points and you move up. One time there was a player 
And I was recruiting. I said, well, wow, this guy's got a high ranking. He's 68 in the world. And the coach looks at me and says, really not 68. He's more like 668 in the world. The guy just got a lot of money. Dad's got a private plane. Guy flies all over the place to get points. But what happens to, um, you know, Joe, Joe at the tennis courts, who's really, really good. He doesn't have money, and he was the state champion, and he wants to play ITF tournaments too. Well, you know what? It's a crummy format. We could easily do it, like Dave Miley said, by regions. We could have those three regions. We, we need to have probably ITFs in four sections of the country. So if you're in the south, you could go somewhere in Atlanta. If you're up north, you could go somewhere in Indianapolis or something, and, and or that's the Midwest, and play one. But we, we could rethink that, folks, and, and, and get it so much better. Number five, and ding, 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 number four, I give another nine to that idea about making international junior play much better. Number five, play Davis Cup and Fed Cup over two. Yeah, they should have always done every other year. The mistake in Davis Cup is not the fact the format was bad. It's the fact they did it every year. They need to make it like the Ryder Cup every other year. Actually, they ought to make it an alternating years with the Ryder Cup. You could play all the smaller matches throughout the year, the Fed Cup and the Davis Cup. But then, you know, absolutely, I gave this a 10 or 9 to 10 because, unless I'm 100% against uh, what the hokey pokey show they're trying to put on there out there in Las Vegas, there's so many ways for that to fail, it's not even funny. It might be a marketing windfall for the first year or something, but that thing's going to fall on its face. Just wait for the first time that USA gets bumped out. Wait a minute, we just lost again, I think. But wait till the USA gets bumped out about the third round, the fourth round, and you only have a few retired people there sitting in that hot sun, desert sun, and they're trying to market this thing, and then they try to get on TV, and they say, you only got 15 people in the stands. You can shoot a shotgun off and not hit anybody up there. We're not going to broadcast that thing, and pretty much the Davis Cup is – and it's it's sad. It's just sad that that uh, I think this is a big big mistake. Who is that guy? Haggerty. Haggerty pushes stuff. Come on, man. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Was he a coach? I think he was a marketing guy. No offense, nice enough guy, but he's marketing guy. He's not a coach. Does he really understand tennis? Going after the money. Come on. What did he do to Davis? I'm going to get Dennis Ralston on here. I really, he said he'd come on my program sometime, but I really want him to come on and talk about the importance of the Davis Cup and, and what it really means to tennis. If they take away this structure, this fundamental cornerstone, this building block of the great sport of tennis, shame on those guys. You better get your head straight on this right because you just, you, this might be a death blow. You think that it was smart. You think that it's just going to be a windfall of profiting. I'll eat my words if this ends up being good after five years. I'll say I'm sorry I was wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong here. Play the Davis Cup, Fed Cup, yes, 9-10 on that, uh, that idea. As you can see, almost all 9 and 10s. Here, number six, introduce an ITF World Championship for men and women every two years. 
yeah, I think that speaks for itself. Right now, every other year, we need to have that. Maybe alternate one year men, one year women. Actually, women would shine better, men would shine better. For a long time, they've always had the philosophy, put men and women together. But actually, I live in Charleston right now where they have the family circle, and I think that is the only show in town, and it's a big show when those women come to town here. I think let's separate them, let them build independently, and let them compete with each other a little bit. Right now, uh, every other year, I, I think I got a seven on this idea. I'm sort of mixed. Number seven, User-friendly play and competition should drive the sport. User-friendly. Yeah, it's not user-friendly. Talking about not user-friendly, uh, with USTA tournaments, a coach told me this. He said, you know, I actually can make a uh, – get on – make airline flights on 10 different airlines and fly all over the world a lot easier than I can just join up for a USTA tournament. And I'm telling you right here now, maybe I'm just out of the loop. Maybe it's just the computers. Oh, Coach Creasy, maybe it's just the computers. But when if parents ask me how do I sign up for tournaments, I'd say, ah, go over and just ask this local pro. I don't get it. used to be just pretty simple. Now you've got L1s, L5s, blue tournament, gray tournament, red. This is a local, regional. You've got about 15 divisions in the end. Because you got so many different divisions, it doesn't matter. We had a local junior tournament here, and it took half of a pickup truck for the guy to bring all the trophies in. I said, whoa, what's all these trophies for? He said, oh, we got to give something out to everybody so everybody's happy. I said, when you have too many winners, you never really have a winner. This is the, the participation mentality, but user-friendly competition. Here's what we need. I would like for you to check out the UTR stuff. We had on uh, Daryl Cummins two weeks ago on the program. He talked about what they're developed up there is area code uh, system of tennis. Right within their area code, like here in Charleston, would be the 843 area code. But everybody in there, in that area code, you have a region already marked out that way. So, you know, we're not using cities so much or counties so much anymore or state rankings. He had that, that idea. It was very user-friendly. It's easy to sign up. You sign up. They have, uh, you know, they have money tournaments for UTR. The UTR is a big deal, folks. Daryl Cummins and Dave Howe, the two inventors of the UTR, get all the credit on that one. It's brilliant, and they were able to push it forward to the forefront. And listen, from day one, the USTA tried to, to stomp out that brush fire of the UTR, and they couldn't do it, and that UTR now is going to take over. Rank, ratings are going to take over rankings. It's going to happen. And one of the things I'm going to go to here, user-friendly, i got a nine there too, but I'm going to go to number nine on Dave Miley's thing, and he brings up the UTR, and he's got a quote here by Coach Peter Howe, no, excuse me, Coach Peter Smith. Coach Peter Smith in the article, who is the great coach at the University of Southern California, has a quote of him saying, the first question I ask players is, what is your UTR? UTR is the new global gold standard in recruiting. 
Well, I'll give you a better one. I, I asked a kid at one of my camps, he was hitting in the back on a wall. I said, uh, son, do you know what your UTR is? He said, yes, sir, coach, I'm a 7.6 or something. I go, whoa, okay. He said, I'm going to be a nine soon, coach. Wow, rating system, much better than ranking system. Ranking systems are bad, folks, except for the top 25. I think this is the way you should do it. Top 40 people in your section or your country ought to be ranked because you need to know how to get – you need right at that you're, you're cutting cutting very thin pieces of uh, talent or just you're marking very thin pieces there. But after the top 40, you have rating systems, and then players can rate themselves and they work to get higher ratings. That's a better way to do it in the middle level. And then at the very lowest level, you should use some, a self-progression like the GRIPS program. Uh, those guys developed the GRIPS program out in California. It's brilliant. Look up gripsprogram.com, gripsprogram.com, if you want to see something that's fantastic for your kids who are just starting out. Because kids who are just starting out, they can earn their grips sort of like karate belts through skill levels and achievement earned. It's fantastic. So you ought to have the grips level at the very basic beginners. Then you have rating system, ranking system only for the top elite, elite players. A lot of maybe only the top 25 should be ranked. But the problem with ranking too many players is I'll give you a coaching example first of all. So here's the coaching example. As a college coach, um, very often a, a coach, a player will call and say, Coach, I was ranked 241. I'm up to coach number 180. I said, Okay, we, this guy went from mediocre to sort of mediocre. Okay? And, and, and it, it just, it's not a definitive thing for a kid to work for, even though this, the innocence of this youngster was, Hey, I'm really working to get better. It doesn't mark anything, and it re, you're relying on points and tournament points again. You're chasing rankings in, in, in these arbitrary points USTA puts out of there instead of mastery of the game. Now kids are saying, if I get better, I'll move up. If I get better, maybe I'll, and I'll move up my – rating, my own rating. I'm not competing against Joe or Billy over here or Susie. I'm competing against myself. It's UTR is a brilliant thing. So UTR, nine for sure. Inch, okay, this is the only thing I only gave a five to. Okay, Coach Miley. And Coach Miley there, he's from uh, Europe, I think. Ireland, Ireland, that's right. One of the great names in Irish tennis other than Owen Casey and the Casey people the Casey brothers over there in Dublin. But uh, introduce tennis to all, number eight, to all starter players in it with slower balls. In other words, the green ball, red ball, all that stuff. Look, all I'm going to say about red, orange, green is it's a great teaching tool. And Dave Miley sought me out. I was doing a PTR convention talk in Orlando, and maybe he'll listen to this broadcast one day. But he sought me out down there, and he comes up to me and said, Coach, Chuck, the uh, only reason I think I, I just talked against the uh, 
red, orange, and green. I said it's a great teaching tool, but it should never be mandatory. He said it. He said, and he was he was awesome. He said, look, I respected your work, and he said. The only reason you say you're really against is because it's being forced on us or it's mandatory. I said, absolutely. And again, in other countries, they don't understand this, American people out there. But freedom, freedom is the most important thing that we have, freedom. And daggone it, I didn't have any skin in the game and tenant under tennis. But the minute they said it's mandatory, to use this red, orange, green stuff, I go, whoa, holy guacamole, no way, no way, man. Don't tell me it's mandatory. Our kids have to use this centralized government mandatory thing. Don't, don't tell me that. Boy, anybody that's got a little bit of rebellious nature in them or anybody that really thinks on their own isn't going to like them, you say, it is mandatory. Got to do this mandatory right away. I don't know how you were, even in elementary school. The minute I heard that, I said, wait a minute. I think I got a better way. <laughs> My rebel mentality would say that thing. And maybe that's why I was riding the bench a lot in basketball. My coach used to say, ride the pine till you change your, <laughs> change your attitude. One coach said to me, Creasy, we're going to mold your will without breaking your spirit. Huh, I had to think about that one a lot. I think that's a great quote, though. You never break the spirit of a willful person. Never break the spirit. Mold that will, coaches. Never break the spirit. Don't take that engine, that that Ferrari engine out of people. Don't take that. Don't try to turn down the engine of a Ferrari, make it go 55 to 72 all the time. That Ferrari's always wanting to drive, drive a little bit faster, a little bit faster, a little bit faster, even into the turns. Look, Coach Miley, all the rest of you, great teaching tool on that red, orange, green stuff. Guess what? Early 90s, I used to use dead balls. I propped the net up and brought the sidelines in and a, a foot and a half, two feet on both sides. Instead of 27 feet, I'd have 23 feet wide court. And I made players learn how to play that way because they're missing too doggone much. I didn't want them to miss wider than that. You miss long all day long, that's a... Physical mistake, but daggone it, wider in the net is a brain cramp, a brain fart. Sorry. Sorry I said it. It's a brain fart. It's a brain fart. Miss wider in the net. So I used to use that. And by the way, I used I used green green balls and slower balls for tempo tennis. I use it all the time for high-level training. But don't tell us we've got to use this silly gimmick stuff for our young kids let us let people learn the way they want to learn so i gave that one a five okay four no i gave it a four or a five uh participation tennis okay not for championship tennis all right all right let's move on i'd say coach miley's doing pretty good here as far as coach creasy's uh, point of view Developing a rating for a rating system for world tennis. I already covered that already. That was number nine, and they gave it a nine ten. And yep, UTR listened to listened to program two weeks ago about the UTR. Got to keep moving here, folks. Ensure that number ten and Coach Dave Miley's 
Big Ten, ensure that seven major tennis bodies work together for the good of tennis. Well, well, good luck in ensuring that one. I guess that's like ensuring the United Nations is always going to work together, huh? You know, I, I, I it, it, you know, pretty much. Not, let me tell you a quick story. Okay, so when I was in uh, Southeast Asia, I was technical director for Southeast Asia Tennis, and I coached most of the ties, but we would bring in players from Malaysia and Philippines and from, uh, excuse me, uh, Indonesia a lot. We had a lot of players come in, actually. We had Pakistani players. We had a lot of Asian players would come there and train. I went out and did coaching seminars in seven different countries, and uh, one of my jobs was to try to unite and try to help – pass on the things I've been given over the years in tennis uh, to coaches and players. Fantastic, fantastic experience. So we had uh, some players starting to do very, very well. So my second year working for them pretty much was to travel with the top players and a couple of the players still out there playing, very proud of young ladies. And uh, I used to tell, and I don't want to go there too much on this, but all I can say is I loved I loved the mentality of the Thai people, of the Asian people. The work ethic was beyond approach. And minute you said we've got to do this, it would dig in, and they 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 saw and they understood. And and um, we're going to have a lot of champions coming out of Asia. But but the, here's my point: the one girl started doing great, and she was ranked number one in the world. She won Wimbledon singles doubles, French Open doubles, U.S. Open doubles. Gosh, she got to play in, oh, and then semifinals, both Australia. And, I mean, she, she was ranked number one in the world in junior tennis and did really, really well. And, you know, you thought everybody in the region would be throwing big parties. But bottom line, there were some jealousies. There was uh, people that – didn't probably give her the accolades or, you know, I, you know, in tennis, look, in the United States, everybody's competitive. And I've often said that, unfortunately, while we, we do a lot of tearing down here in the United States, we tear down a lot instead of build up. And my mommy used to say that you never make your own light shine brighter by trying to put someone else's out. You don't climb to the top without the help of other people. There's a lot of things like that. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Bottom of line, it all comes down to the law of reciprocities, if you want to do it right. The law of reciprocity says whatever you give, give you will get back in tenfold. We know this in tithing and on Sundays. We know this with your, you know, if you give away what you have, to other people, it comes back to you or your family tenfold, and it's just the law of the law of abundance means there's enough to go around for everybody. The law of reciprocity means that folks, if you give it out there, you will give it back. Well, good luck at having the major tennis bodies working together. We probably need a commissioner out there. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't have the, all the answers. All I know is the problem with tennis is it's combative. And even at high school levels or high school coaches or local levels, you see people being catty, backbiting, trying to put other people down. And and it's nasty. And it doesn't have to be. You have to learn to congratulate other people when they do well. 
you have to be honorable with what you, you know, your successes, humble when you succeed, grateful to others when you succeed, and uh, not try to put other people's light out. To make your own, it never makes your own light shine brighter. But that, if you could get everybody working together, Dave Miley, you would be the Henry Kissinger of tennis, that's for sure. Maybe he didn't even do that good. You'd be Pope Francis, no, no, no. He's not doing so good either right now. Maybe uh, who else would be a great, great, Benjamin Franklin, that's the guy. That's the guy that got the French into the Revolutionary War and really helped us defeat the British. The Benjamin Franklin did, but what a negotiator he was. So good luck on that one, getting everybody to work together. So you can see, folks, that this is a well-written article. It's fantastic. Go out there and watch. Let's put a big 10 into tennis by Dave Miley, M-I-L-E-Y. And uh, hats off to him for all the work that he has done. Last, I, I want to. Say, I only got a minute here. I wanted to just throw out to you there, folks. The why always comes first. Uh, Simon Sinek, Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. The why comes first. You have got to understand that you must put your passion into solving this problem. Your mind is powerful. Your energy is still there. Everybody needs to jump in, young, old, and middle-aged. Remember, old people, you're not over the hill. Your best years are coming if the good Lord lets you live. And if you don't give it back, you look like a burnout rock star, by the way. You don't give it back, you look like, you know, a burnout rock star that's looking for another gig. you got to give back at, at that old, keep it rolling if you're old. If you're young, don't be somebody that is a boat rider that just try. look, if you're a boat rider now, you're not going to be anything different later. If you don't stand up for something when you're young, don't think, hey, when I'm 35, I'm going to I'm going to dive in and I'm going to say, hey, now I'm going to stand for something. It don't work that way. If you don't do it by the time you're 25, stand up and speak out. You're probably going to be a, try to be a boat rider and you'll be you'll be a weak link most of your life. But don't just try to fit in. Don't just try to pay the politics. Nobody respects that. If you're middle-aged, beware of the golden handcuffs. Don't let them ever, ever control you. Read the why comes first. We need the why. We need to inspire people again. USTA, if you don't inspire people, I don't care how much money you have, how many great systems you have, we need incentives. We need to be inspired. Inspire us. Show us the way. Tell us to take the hill. Don't program or over-regulate everything we do. Nobody is inspired by regulation, too many rules, and too many systems. Too good, too smart for your own good. Get out, of, get out of the way. Show us the way and then get out of the way. We need a freeway, an expressway, a highway. Don't give us any more of that pathway malarkey. Nobody, nobody likes that. And, and uh, look, folks, uh, stand up, speak out, say what needs to be said. And I'm about out of time. I want to remind you that you are in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss. This is Coach Chuck Creasy. Provide that tune on his lips song Spend a little more in the store for a tag in